some things never change. About 27, 28 years ago, many of you know when I was first introduced here a few months ago that not only do I serve as the chancellor of uh, Columbia International University, CIU, but also have the privilege of being the president of a mission organization that plants churches among Muslims and Hindus. Well, 27, 28 years ago, our staff was much smaller. We didn't have as depth um, of leadership in the organization. We had a team overseas, the female leader, her father died, so we had to fly her back. We needed somebody to replace her leadership. We had no one but my wife. I said, sweetheart, I need you to go over there. She gladly did that. So took her to the airport, she took off. The four children and I came back home. And when they got into the house, I lined them up, oldest to youngest, David, Kristen, Lauren, Stephen, 10, 9, 7, and 6. I said, guys, I don't care what you eat for breakfast, but I want you, I gave each one of them a bowl, each one of them a spoon, each one of them a cup, and I gave the oldest a knife. I said, I don't care what you eat for breakfast, but you eat it out of this bowl with this spoon and drink out of this cup. When you finish, put it in the refrigerator. I said, I don't care what you eat for lunch. You eat it out of that same bowl, that same spoon. You can use the knife from David's knife to make sandwiches, peanut butter. That cup, when you finish, put it in the refrigerator. See, I went a whole semester every year in college by doing that because refrigeration was invented to retard the growth of bacteria. And I knew we could go just a week or week and a half without anybody getting sick. I said, if you guys do this, then at night I will buy us pizza every single night. But we're going to tear up the box and eat it on that box. So right before Debbie gets home, all I have to do is wash four cups, four spoons, one knife, and four bowls. Deal? Oh, Daddy, that is a deal. Well, things were rocking along great. This is before cell phones, and so Debbie calls in from a payphone in the middle of nowhere. And she said, may I speak to the children? I said, well, of course. So she starts with David. She says, David, how are things going? He says, Mom, Dad's tremendous. We eat pizza every single night. <laughs> well, may I speak to Kristen? Kristen, how are things going? Oh, Mama, Daddy's trying his hardest. But when we get to school, Lauren and I have to redo our hair because it just looks so ugly after Daddy does it. But he's trying hard. Okay, may I speak to Lauren? Now, Lauren's the one that, in our family, that things are just so. She gets to Lauren, she says, how's it going? She says, well, mother, I don't understand why daddy is making us eat out of the same bowl with the same cup and the same spoon and putting them, we're never washing dishes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Daddy, mama wants to talk to you. Well, our oldest girl and her husband are in North Africa right now, and they're ministering for a week and a half in this Muslim context. And so we have three grandchildren in Nashville. Debbie left me last Monday on our 41st anniversary. She left me for this younger man. He's six years old and his two sisters. And she's there for until this coming Tuesday. Some things never change. If you look in our refrigerator right now, you'll find one bowl, <laughs> one spoon, a fork and a knife, a glass and a plate. 
Now, if she comes home soon, those things will hopefully be washed before she gets there. Some things never change. Now, this month, it started on January the 5th. I had the privilege of, of, of starting this series called Hindsight, and my topic was our foresight needs to be informed by our hindsight. And if we learn biblical wisdom, life gets better from God's perspective. Then there were two other communicators in the between, and the first one said, we are products of our past. Now, I would add this, we may be products of our past, but we're not prisoners. Okay, we're not prisoners. The grace of God can change our lives. Then last week was on, all right, now that we understand all this, let's move forward in faith. Let's move forward in faith. Well, this morning, as we look at moving forward in faith, we're not going to look at it from the perspective of us as individuals. We're going to look at it from the perspective of us corporately as a church moving forward. And the text which I've chosen this morning is Hebrews chapter 10. So if you'll take your Bibles and be turning there or your phones and be scrolling there, Hebrews chapter 10, I want us to pick up in verse 19. Now, I will read and you follow along. I'm going to read from New American Standard. I think NIV is up on the screen, but I'm going to read from New American Standard. It's basically the same. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says, Therefore, brethren, since we have great confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and since we have this great priest over the house of God, now He's going to give us a series of lettuce. Now, before we leave these two verses, I would rearrange it just a little bit for us to better understand it. It would go like this. In these first two verses, there's two, the word since is used twice. Since we have this confidence, or I would say this great confidence, and what is that great confidence? The work that Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. But since we have this great confidence and this great high priest, Jesus Christ, since these two things, now these two senses, these two phrases, is a summary of the ten and a half chapters that's gone on at this point in the book of Hebrews. So based on these two great truths, Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, when you're reading Scripture, always ask this question, wherefore is the therefore, therefore? The therefore is therefore because these two great truths. Based on these two truths, our great confidence in the great high priest, then he's going to challenge us in verses 22 to 25. He's going to say, look at these three let us. Not lettuce. We eat lettuce. But three, let us. So let's look at verse 22. Let us, so here's the first one. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean with an, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure, pure water. Second, let us, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Third, let us, this third challenge, this third exhortation, 
Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assemblings as a habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Now, let's talk through briefly these three challenges, and then I want to bring in two of our younger leaders here at Mount Horeb, and I want to interview them as we look, what is the future of the church, particularly this church? What does it look like in the future? So the first one, verse 22, it says, let us draw near. Now, it's very ambiguous there. Let us draw near to what? It doesn't say. But actually, it's not a to, to a what, it's to whom. If you think of um, chapter 4, verse 16, it says, let us draw near to the throne of grace. That's, that's much more specific. Chapter 7, verse 19, it says, this is very clear, let us draw near to God. So first exhortation is this, vertically, let's draw near to God. Now, two words I want you to go away with for this particular verse, relationship and fellowship. There's a big difference. I have a relationship with Debbie, 41 years, six days today, I've had the privilege of being her husband. But we haven't always had fellowship. The fellowship is that drawing close, drawing near. It's, it's, it's enjoying the relationship. So if she comes home a day early and I haven't washed my bowl and my spoon and my fork and my knife and my cup, the fellowship will not be like this. It might be more like this. So I love that song, Give Me Jesus, Give Me Jesus. Give me Jesus. When we cross over in this right relationship with God, there is a relationship. Now, oh, let me get close to Him. Let me draw near. Let me, let me, let me experience the fellowship. So, if we're not spending time alone with God daily, if we're not spending that morning watch, that personal devotional time, we have the relationship perhaps, but we're not growing deep in that fellowship. The mystics, the, the, the old-timers had four C's. They call it the four C's. If you're taking notes, why don't you write this down? Constant, conscious communion with Christ. Constant, conscious communion with Christ. So as we go through our day, I, I know I'm His Son, but am I experiencing my sonship? Am I communicating with my Father? And sometimes I go hours and go, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I just, I totally forgot about you. So I want you to practice these Nehemiah prayers, the short prayers like Nehemiah prayed. And, and throughout the day, just practice it. Oh, I love you, Father. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Fill me, Holy Spirit. And so we're practicing this constant conscious communion with Christ. We're drawing near. We're enjoying the fellowship that's ours by right of our relationship with God. Well, let me skip to the third, and we'll come back to the second challenge. But the third challenge is in verse 24. And it says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assemblings together as the habit of some. The first challenge is, let's draw near to God. The second challenge is horizontal. Let's draw near to each other. 
Now, in this age of technology, it's being uh, live streamed. This service right now is being live streamed. So if someone's homesick, they can go online and they can worship with us. Now, live stream is not a substitute, but it is an aid for when we are sick and can't come to church. If we're not sick, we need to come to church because I need you. You need me. We all need each other. Now, it's not just if we're sick. There are other situations where it's legitimate to worship digitally, electronically. Our ministry has the largest website for Muslim evangelism among Turkish-speaking Muslims. We see 50 Muslims come to Christ every year just through the website. So if we're in a, a culture that's persecuted for our faith in Christ, then maybe we do worship electronically until we find somebody we trust and we can come together. So these two challenges, the first one and the third one, the let us, one is let us draw near to God, and the other is let us draw near to each other. So this begs the question, though, church, assembling together, as we live in this radically, rapidly changing culture, the question is, will the church of the future be relevant for the generation of the future? I mean, just think what we're going through right now as a denomination. It's in turmoil. There's, there's, there's a lot of chaos. What do we believe? How do we worship? Who do we worship? Did you see the article a few weeks ago? Um, I'm not going to say the name of the school. It was not CIU where they had a whole chapel where they worshiped the plants. Then we talk about lettuce and not let us. Things are are changing right now. Is the church of the future going to be relevant for this generation of the future? Absolutely. But some things might need to change. But what things need to change? Here's a picture. Not everybody in the world worships God like we're worshiping God this morning. Let me be specific on who God is. Jesus Christ. Not everybody sits in nice pews and has a beautifully carpeted stage and the instruments that we have. This is a church we started in Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan has the fourth largest numbers of martyrs, Christian martyrs, in church history since Central Asia. It's, it's, it's called the, it's where all the stans are. We Americans tend to be geographically illiterate. It used to be number seven, number eight, most persecuted church. When Karimov, the president, left, it's now, I think, us in the top 20. It's still tough. When we go there and start churches, we, we don't say, hey, turn in here. These folks sneak in in ones and twos, not to draw attention to themselves. 
And when they worship, the melodies do not say, let's sing as loudly as we can. They sing in whispers because the people next door could turn them in. Here's, here's, I just want you to see that methods often change. It depends on the culture. This is a church we started in Nepal. I wish you could see the, it just drops off. They're on a mountainside. But look at this next picture. You recognize this one? It's here. Talk about things changing. This morning, uh, I think uh, Terrence and I were up there. We were working on a couple of, of slides, and Melody was up here, and uh, Melody, stand up. I mean, she could be like a model, right? I mean, she's up here, and she's like, she's styling, and so, and then Grace Marie, who leads worship in the other service, she's casual, you know, got a t-shirt on. Have you ever been over there? It's packed. But they're reaching a different culture. It's not a generational thing, it's a cultural thing. Culture is often made up of our preferences. We wouldn't be reaching all those folks if it were just like this service. Some things are going to have to change in the future if the church is going to be relevant at reaching the next culture, the next generation. But, however, some things must never change. Verse 23, this is the key verse. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. If we want to be faithful at drawing near to God and drawing near to each other, there has to be something upon which we believe. And what we believe is the confession of our hope, and we must hold to it unwaveringly. We cannot compromise. So, methods may change, the packaging may change, but the inner core, the message must never change. And the message is the Christ in whom we place our hope. Well, I want us to look, I want us to hear. Um, do you call him Stallion or Daniel? Stallion. Uh, Stallion, Stephanus, Stephanus, and Emma Murphy, would you two come out, please? I would like to interview you two and find out from you what the church is going to look like as we seek to reach this next generation. Will the methodology change and the message? I could take back your diploma. I could take it back in a heartbeat if you give the wrong answer. Um, he's a graduate of CIU. And, and Emma, uh, she's going to work on her doctorate from CIU. Okay. Um, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Um, tell us, uh, Emma, start with you. Tell us, how did you get here at Mount Horb? Okay. Tell, us, tell us your position and, and how you got here. Okay, great. Um, I am, I serve on the congregational care team here at Mount Horeb, uh, and so it took me a little while to, to get here, but I'll give you the brief version. Uh, my parents joined Bethel United Methodist Church in Spartanburg when I was an infant, 
And so my three brothers and I grew up there and were there at every Sunday morning worship, every Wednesday night programming event. Um, we even had our new associate pastor there joke that it was Mathist United Methodist Church because my family is there so much. Um, but we lived in that building. We loved it. And even more so, my mom became the pastor of um, children's ministry there. So we were really there all the time. Um, and I, was, I remember being so excited about getting to join the youth group and, and finally being the age to go on all the cool trips with the teenagers. Um, and what I loved about my youth group most, though, was I had a really cool youth pastor and almost as cool as Stow. Um, <laughs> but he really recognized gifts in me that I didn't see um, in myself as a 14-year-old. So he took the time to to pour into my life and encourage me to take on leadership positions in the youth group and also in the church as a whole. Um, and so it was really those years in youth group that I started to feel the nudge from the Holy Spirit to go into ministry. And it, and it was people like my youth pastor and, and other mentors that helped me realize my love for the local church um, and my passion for, for ministry. And so fast forward through college at Anderson University, kind of discerning what my call was and my first two years at Duke Divinity, not really having a clue where this would end up, um, kind of dipped my toes in lots of different ministries. My last year at Duke, it became very evident to me that I was called back to the local church um, and to get to serve in a place that meant so much to me as a young person, and I knew that that's where I needed to be. Um, so a door opened at Mount Horeb, and it's been really, really wonderful getting to work alongside Pastor Faye. Y'all know her and love her. She's amazing. And so I've learned so much in my seven months of being here and look forward to many, many more months and hopefully years. So. Excellent, excellent. That's, yeah. I'm glad to have you. Um, mine uh, started a little differently, but, but kind of had some similar um, tones. My, my parents were missionaries in Italy, and so when I was two years old, they moved over to, to the country of Italy to be full-time missionaries and church planners. And I remember ever, like, from a young age, being in the car with them, driving home from church or uh, a ministry event, hearing them talk about the church or some of the issues that were going on, some of the people. And I remember thinking in the car, like, man, here's what I would do, or, or here's how they can solve that problem. And just from an early age, like, like being excited about ministry. Um, and when I was 16, I got really serious about my walk with, with Christ. I thought, if I was going to tell and share um, this message with other people, I had to be living it out myself. And so I started reading my Bible and, and developed my relationship with Christ. And around that time, I started to uh, become an interpreter and translating for American speakers who would come to Italy and they would preach and they would share for a couple of sentences. And then I would, they would pause and I would interpret into Italian. And, and soon people would come up to me and say, man, you preached a great sermon. I'm just kind of looking at them like, I didn't do anything. I was just saying what that person said. Um, but God really used that to start to call and develop in my heart uh, a passion for, for preaching and teaching. Um, as I would do that, I remember thinking, I want to understand the message and be able to, to transmit it well. And so I was discipled by my youth pastor um, and got the opportunity to, to do some ministry with him. And eventually, I, I, one of the, the people I worked with um, had been an alumnus of Columbia International University. Um, and so when I started receiving information and, and finding out about this school. I was super intrigued and we were home in, on furlough one summer visiting our family and, and we were driving, driving from New York to Florida and we stopped at Columbia International University, fell in love with the campus, fell in love with South Carolina, uh, ended up going there for four years to get my undergrad degree, took a class with Dr. Jones, which I'm pretty sure I aced. 
and I didn't, and I didn't even Is that think, true? I could go back and verify. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Trust I'm pretty but verify. Sure. Um, and so after that, I, I volunteered at a, at a church over in Irmo and uh, just really felt called to, to student ministry and then ended up going to Long Island, New York, where our home church was, where my mom was from, worked there for five years. Um, and then after that, um, a good friend of mine got me to come down and work here um, through God's calling at, at Mount Horeb. Stallion. I was hoping they were going to applaud because applauding for Emma and not for you, I was, yeah, that, that would be tough. Bad, um, you, you're saying they said great sermon you preach. It makes me think of my friend in Brazil. There was, he was interpreting for a pastor from Texas, and, and the message was horrible. So my friend just preached his own message, and nobody, <laughs> nobody knew. Did you ever, did you ever do that? I, I had one situation where. Someone, Are you serious? Similar, similar. Someone asked for feedback, and the person in the crowd gave gave a really bad response. And the person from America was so excited. They said, "Well, what did they say?" And I said, "Well, you know." And I just kind of tried to lighten the critique. So you lied. Um, a a little tiny bit, maybe. <laughs> I, I just smoothed it over a little bit. Okay. Um, Emma and Stallion, as, as, we look, as we look to the future, you know, our denomination is just going through so much turmoil right now. And as we look to the future, is the church relevant? Um, tell us about this, this generation that, that you two feel called to reach. And we feel called to reach, but you two are right in the midst of it. Describe so we have a better understanding, please. Yeah, well, I think for the first thing that comes to mind for me with this younger generation is obviously the, the issue of technology. Um, and I think it's, it's just it's something we got to think about. It's something we have to, to acknowledge. Um, I, I feel like I was fortunate, or I remember the days of growing up in a household that didn't have technology, and then I remember my dad getting his first computer with Windows 95. Um, and I remember it would take, you know, five minutes to boot up, which felt like an eternity. Um, and I remember dial-up connection, dial-up internet. Um, and now we're in a place where there's Wi-Fi everywhere, and it's kind of expected. Um, so I think it's interesting because, for me, I can look back and, and see what that was like, but, but we're talking to a generation, we're working with students who are growing up in a place where they don't know a world without that. Mm. Like they've come into the world kind of uh, understanding technology, expecting technology. There's multiple devices in every home. Like I remember when even the, when we had Wi-Fi in the home, then it was, well, this can handle up to three devices or five devices. And now it's like, you know, put all the devices you want connected. Um, but, but I think we're just in, a, in an age, a digital age, where technology is such a huge piece of of life, of, of how they relate to people, how they see the world and how they connect and access to information. So I think that's a really big characteristic of, of this new generation. Okay. Emma, what would you add to that? Yeah, I think that's a really good one. Um, I would also say uh, the need for transparency and authenticity um, in every aspect of life. I mean, just a couple examples. In the workplace, we want honest bosses, uh, and we want environments that are trust-based and a little bit more flexible and candid. Um, in, in marketing and branding, that's huge. We want to buy things from companies that um, are honest about their product development, that are supporting good causes, and are, are telling you know the good and the bad things about what they're selling. Um, we want we want the big picture. We we want the full idea of something rather than um, something that's fake or or the truth is stretched. We want the the big picture of things, and I think. Along with that, because we're in the age of technology, we need authentic information and a lot of it so that we can um, build loyalty and trust in different aspects of life. 
And, and I would say that's why we have like, for instance, reviews are so important to mm -hmm. us. And whenever we want to purchase something, whenever we want to go somewhere, the first thing that we think our generation does is to go look at the reviews and what are people saying and, and what is some of the bad and the ugly. And then you have to filter it out. But, but it's kind of this, this, we want to know what's really happening, what's really going on. Right. So how does that relate to the church reaching that culture? I mean, I think with the transparency and authenticity thing that, you know, directly relates to the church, we want that not only to reflect in the workplace and in our relationships and in companies, but, but in the church as well. Uh, we want, you know, pastors and teachers and preachers to be open and honest about things. We, we want to hear about the core truths of scripture, but we want our pastors to be vulnerable. Um, we want them to be open about their brokenness and, and how they're in need of grace, just like all of us are. Um, if we're all in need of God's grace, why should we hide it? We should, we should be open about that. And I think also along the lines of that is we want to practice what we preach. So if we, if we claim to be a church that is gospel-centered, are we loving the poor and the needy? Are we serving in local and global missions? Are we helping in our community? Is our finances, are our finances going towards furthering the kingdom. Um, all of those things are, are really important. And I think that this transparency and this authenticity, you know, ultimately builds trust within a community of believers, but it also um, helps with those that are struggling or being tempted or maybe even skeptical about the church. So with me being transparent about not liking to wash dishes, if I brought a dish to a covered dish thing at Mount Horeb, would you be more trusting to eat out of it or less trusting? I would just avoid your dish. Yeah, that's good. Okay, okay. We, we would look for the reviews. Yeah. Where have you been before that? I think, um, I think that that is so true, and that's what I, I appreciate about Mount Horeb, uh, being transparent with our finances and, and being about um, missions, both locally and globally. Our, another characteristic of, of the younger generation is this desire to, to truly do something that matters and to help, not just um, obviously with, with the message, but also um, in a real practical need. And so, um, you know, you guys have heard our, our, our project this year with Habitat for Humanity. Like, our students are excited over spring break to take some days and to work and to help with that because it's such a practical need. Um, but when it comes to technology, I think the, the thing that's important for me to always remember is that one approach isn't better and the other one's worse or, you know, one way is good, one way is bad. It really is just different. And so I think first I have that, an open... That is, that is, say that one more, that's very, very well put. I, I was saying how I think um, one approach isn't better and the other is, is, is worse or one's right, one's wrong. I think it really is just different. It's important, it's important for us to have an open-mindedness towards that, to understand um, that sometimes the, the push that we will make in a, in a technological world or some of the reasons why we put ourselves on social media or, uh, or try to reach through a technologically, to a technologically savvy generation is because um, that's, that's where they're at. Um, I saw a statistic recently about um, the, the newest generation, Gen Z. Um, this is the students that, that we're trying to reach, that we're working with, where it says that 90% of them are on YouTube every single day. And, and YouTube is now a search engine, it's compared to a search engine like Google. And people would rather watch a video of how to tie a tie or uh, how to fix whatever. I mean, you literally could type in anything. And I think that it's important for us to understand if that's where people are, if that's where students are and younger generations are, how can we have a presence there? How can we reach and connect there as well? Add anything? I think that was awesome. Okay. Thank you. I'll pay, I'll pay you later. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are some of the methodologies, what are some of the wrappings, the packaging that you see here at Mount Horeb 
would help us be more effective at reaching this next generation. Does anything come to mind? Rephrase the question. The pastor just died. Okay. All right, and they make stallion. So I'll start with you. You're the new pastor. Okay. What changes would you make right now? Um, well, <laughs> is, he, wait, 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 wait. is he watching? What, what's, what's said in this, <laughs> this, this venue stays in this venue. He's I think this one is live, live stream right No, 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 no. Terrence <laughs> or whoever you guys, just make some adjustments, okay? Speak, speaking Italian. Um, <laughs> and I'll translate. Uh, I, I mean, I, I really think, I think that our, the importance for us is, is just to communicate the message with boldness. And I think, we, I think we desire to be sometimes diplomatic or we desire to not offend. But if we truly understand scripture and, and, and just see, man, the, the gospel offends. And, and sometimes Jesus, when he preached or he called people to action, people turned away and left um, the crowds. And, and so I, I think, um, and not to say that we don't do this, but I think we can be even bolder or stronger with our approach to saying, hey, here's God's message. Here's what it's saying. Um, here, here's what it is. And, and let's not worry as much about tiptoeing around or, or may I edit it like this yes, please just just as we've been bold with this generation with the message we need to continue being bold yes. with the message in the next generation 100% yes is that is that and especially now where, where they the the absolutes and the absolute of truth isn't a, it comes into question and they don't want to they don't want to pin stuff down and they they, they do want to be a little more wishy-washy with their with their answers or what is true or they'll, they'll say stuff like what is true to me now I think 100% we need to be bold about what God's word says and it's interesting you use that phrase I just I was I was last two or three days I was out of town with no cell coverage and I had my bible on my phone and it had the King James Version, and, and I read a proverb. It says, the righteous will speak with boldness. Mm-hmm. And I, that, that's what you're saying, right, when you speak with boldness. And you made, you made a comment that we don't—the message may offend, yeah. but we as messengers— it's, That's not our intent to offend, but if they're offended by the message— that's, It's the message. It's the message. Yeah. We're just the messengers. Correct. All right, so Stallion didn't work out well as a pastor. Um, the the congregation, figure. I mean, the pastor watched uh, the live stream version. He said, well, I, he's dead. That's, let's see. Um, anyway, it didn't work out. So you're the new pastor. Okay. So what change would you make? Um, first, I would get rid of the youth pastor. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Larger salary. I think that I would... I would make more room for um, having young people uh, get to be up here on this stage and, and get to uh, to claim their gifts and to, and to show all of you um, how how much they are in the spirit and how they they do have these gifts for ministry. We have wonderful people here like Bryce that are are getting to preach on this stage. But I think that I would even more so want some of our students up here and and um, people that are really showing gifts in ministry to, to have more opportunities. I think that's really important. It's important for us to have that opportunity. Add to that. No, I think for sure. I think when we create a culture that's welcoming, um, that's that's what gets people to to want to stay and be a part of that. What challenges do we have as we move forward 
in faith to make, not to make, to keep the church relevant for this next generation. Emma, I'll start with you. Um, what deficiencies need to be strengthened? What weaknesses need to be improved? What do we need to do to be more effective, to be prepared? Yeah, I think that right now in our culture, there is this extreme spirit of individualism. And individualism isn't necessarily bad, but I think in extreme cases, it can be because we, you know, live by mottos like be true to yourself no matter what, because we're afraid uh, that, you know, we want our human rights and liberties. And so in, in the spirit of individualism, often we will reject institutions and different types of moral authority. Um, and so when that is in the church, what happens is this individual's, individualism makes us um, fear to submit um, to the authority of God. And so we... We are glorifying man over glorifying God. Um, and what happens is we're not producing true disciples. Because if we have this generation that doesn't know how to submit to the authority of God, then they don't understand the gospel. They don't understand what it means to, to give everything to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So, it, I mean, I think that's huge in our culture today, and we really have to be careful of that. The, the scripture comes to my mind, for generations, we're just innately made, there's this principle of sin within us that wants to put self first. Yes. And so Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. So you're saying it's blatant today, mm -hmm. at least we kind of hid it in the past, but it's blatant today. As they come to church, we have to turn that whole value system upside down. Absolutely. And, and, and you'll have to be bold with the message to do that. Yes. Stallion? Yeah, I think what I would add is a little bit to, to be able to, to listen to the younger generation, to, to hear what we have to say um, as we are able to speak into some of these issues or able to speak into some of what is important or, or what is an issue, um, to be able to listen a little bit, to, to say, um, man, I, I value what you're, I, I hear what you're trying to communicate. I hear what's important to you, to your generation. So let's, let's course correct a little bit or let's move in this direction or in that direction. Um, I think it's also important to, to try to stay cutting edge with some things. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a really good communication, a uh, really good conversation with a leader yesterday who said, unfortunately, the church is probably like half a step behind uh, when it comes to culture and when it comes to being relevant. And the problem isn't so much now, but in, in five and in 10 years, as it stays half a step and half a step and half a step, the next thing you know, there's a, there's a huge um, disconnect and there's, it's a much bigger gap. And so I think by listening to the younger people on our staff and in our ministry positions, our, our lay leaders to say, what, you know, how can we be different and, and to really lean into um, some of the areas that they're suggesting to be able to, to reach new heights and, and new depths in, of what we're doing. As you two diligently pursue reaching the next generation, what about us? Uh, are you going to forget us? I hope not. <laughs> we do too. Uh, <laughs> what was your name? No, <laughs> no I think that the older generations are so valuable to us. I mean, I mean, I can speak personally to this because it's a huge part of my call story, but we value the insight and the wisdom from older generations. Um, 
it was my youth pastor and, and core leaders in that church um, of older generations that spoke into my life, that encouraged me, that loved on me, that listened to me, that were very patient with me. Uh, and that's the reason I'm here today. And I mean, even here at Mount Horeb, I get, I get the honor of working with the senior adult ministry because it falls under congregational care. And those folks are the ones that you know, pour into me every week. And so I am learning here as in my first full-time job from seniors every week that have gone through things before. And I'm learning as a young person how to be a better leader here in my job. So the older generations are so relevant to us. We need the wisdom and insight from all of you. Yeah, and I would add, Scripture teaches that. It's, it's in its intergenerational faith and discipleship that looks like that. I always tell people, when, when I have a hard time, I'm, I'm 34, I'll be 34 this year. When I have a problem... Oh, are you 34? You will be 34. I will be 34 <laughs> um, in a month or two. And um, when, when I need help, when I need advice, I don't call people my age or, or people younger. I, I go to people who are older, who have lived more life and, and have seen more and can give me that advice and guidance and, and biblical wisdom and, and what to do. And I feel so privileged. I've talked about this a lot with, with my student ministry team is that I feel like I'm kind of in the gap of two generations where, again, I've, I've seen the, what, what the older generation has, and I'm working with the younger generation all the time, and I know that there's good on both sides, and I want to kind of bridge that gap and bring us closer together. And so in no way do we think that, that the old generation is done and it's time to close the chapter of my book. Not, absolutely not. Um, and I think it's, it's a privilege for me to, to be a part of a place that, that kind of helps both sides. Pastor Jeff has done a great job caring for the generation that was here when he came as pastor and caring for us all along and then reaching a future generation and them feeling very cared for as you two move in the future, caring for this generation, reaching another generation without wavering in terms of the message of Christ. I want you to answer this question in one word answers. You can use more than one word. Wait, we can use more than one word? With a period. Okay. Uh, you can use more than one word okay. answer, but the answer has to be one word. Okay. All right. I'm having second thoughts about you taking your doctorate at CIU. I feel like we're on a test again. Uh, um, I need to know the exact directions. Right. What is your... What are your, what's your thoughts about the future of the church? One word. <laughs> you can say ladies first. Yeah, ladies first, 100%. <laughs> yes, thank you. Age before beauty. <laughs> <laughs> One word about the future of the church. That was quick, by the way. I would say passionate. I like that. Stow, you cannot <laughs> use the same word. Um, I, I would say truth, meaning we had to stay to the truth. And I would say unwaveringly. Unwaveringly. <laughs> 1,600 and something years ago, a summary of what we believe was written it's called the Apostles' Creed, and it's said all around the world every Sunday. Some things need to change, but some things never change. They stay the same. 
I want us to stand, just a second, I want us to stand, and I want us to recite the Apostles' Creed. But I want, to, I want us to do it thinking today. Don't, don't put it, I pledge allegiance to the flag, United States of America. I want us to think about it. And I want us to say it with conviction. This is the confession of our hope, and we will hold it without wavering. May we do that? Let's stand together. I believe in God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Dead, you should come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, would you, would you use the up-and-coming generation of leaders in the church and in our church to passionately communicate the truth without wavering of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we could care less about the packaging, but we do care about the core. Father, would you use them? Fill them with your spirit. Anoint them with your power. Lord, may this this next generation follow you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.